0: Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristin.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of the Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and we share them with you. I am April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hello. All right, Catherine. My article today is titled, Nail Unit Reconstruction After Surgery for Refractory Retronychia" by authors Kimberly Sable and Molly Hinshaw. It is uh, online ahead of print as of June 2023 in the Journal of Dermatologic Surgery. It is an article under the category of reconstructive conundrum, and it describes the author's surgical approach to a case of refractory retronicia. I really liked this article and the good description of the author's approach to this conundrum, so I wanted to share it with you. The clinical context is that of a 16-year-old boy who presented with a three-month history of a painful, abnormal left great toenail that started after he had stubbed his toe. He hadn't responded to oral antibiotics, warm water soaks, or surgical removal of granulation tissue with cautery and silver nitrate. His clinical exam showed xanthonychia, proximal nail fold inflammation. There was abundant granulation tissue and loss of the love bond angle, that angle between the nail plate and the proximal nail fold. And the overall impression was consistent with a diagnosis of severe retronicia. To review briefly, retronicia is the condition in which the nail plate will grow into the proximal nail fold, often preceded by trauma that will lift the central portion of the proximal nail plate but leaving the lateral horns attached so that nail cannot shed normally. New nails will start to grow under the existing nail, and that pushes the whole thing upwards, resulting in inflammation of the periungal tissue that can mimic a primary paronychia. The authors make the point that it's critical to view the nail from the lateral aspect to see that loss of the Levibond angle, and that will help distinguish retronychia from primary paronychia. Treatment options for retronicia range from conservative measures like topical or intralesional high-potency steroids to surgical treatments like avulsion of the nail plate. Recent studies have shown that surgical avulsion will resolve retronicia in 80 to 95% of patients, but 10% or so of patients who undergo that surgical intervention will have a complication, which could range from distal embedding, nail splitting, ingrown nail, or sometimes nail dystrophy from scarring. Some authors have described a procedure in which they leave that innermost nail plate adherent to the nail bed, which would preserve the anatomic separation between the proximal nail fold and the nail matrix, which can help prevent scarring, split nail, pterygium. However, it's not always possible to leave this innermost nail plate because it might not be a normal nail plate there, and sometimes the overlying nails are attached to the innermost nail. So in this case of the 16-year-old boy, the innermost nail plate was not normal. So the conundrum in this case was what to place underneath the proximal nail fold to maintain that anatomic space when the innermost nail cannot be left there. Table 1 of this article nicely summarizes all the various materials that have been used to reconstruct and replace a nail after a complete avulsion, and those include silicone, Vaseline gauze, Suture envelope, nasogastric tubing, and several others. The authors propose using one of the patient's own nail plates to keep the eponychium separated from the matrix and minimize the risk of the avulsion. In this case, they performed an avulsion of the outermost plate using the freer elevator. And when they avulsed that, they saw two nail plates growing underneath it. The innermost one was unhealthy, so they ultimately excised granulation tissue. They identified a clear middle one of the nail plates and cleansed it with chlorhexidine and saline. They put it back in an anatomic position. They drilled holes onto the lateral aspects of the nail plate, and then they sutured it to the lateral nail folds using uh, 5-0 polyglactin 910. The patient recovered well, and at two months, the autologous nail had fallen off naturally and was starting to be replaced with a healthy new nail. And they followed that patient for two years afterwards, and he had a good surgical outcome and no recurrence of his retronychia. So the author's final points are that retronychia unresponsive to medical management, is best treated by nail avulsion. Postoperative scarring can be prevented by placing material between the eponychium and the matrix, and the patient's most normal nail may be good, a good option for this material. It's cost-effective, readily available, natural, and safe. The Journal of Dermatologic Surgery also published a commentary on this article by Dr. Eckert Haneke, and he made a couple of interesting additional points. In his commentary, he noted that one of his biggest concerns postoperatively after a nail avulsion is the distal bulge that can be created when there's no nail plate present, And he makes the point that it's important to prevent this distal bulge by taping the distal nail bed over the toe tip to the plantar pad over the metatarsophalangeal joint. Ultimately, I really appreciate the authors of both this article and the commentary for giving us important points to think about when we are treating retronichia with a surgical approach. Agreed. These are great. All right, Catherine, tell us what you read about.
0: Okay, so while you know researching the manuscripts to discuss on this podcast, I came across a few case reports on nail infestations, and I was intrigued, so today I will review the article, Nail Infestation and Atypical Presentation of Typical Scabies by Dr. Zhu et al., published as a clinical picture in The Lancet in 2018. This patient had a history of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and was on chemotherapy, He endorsed that some of his toenails and fingernails had become thick and dystrophic over the past couple of months. He denied pruritus or pain. Physical exams showed thickened, yellow, dystrophic nails with surrounding erythema and edema. Given clinical suspicion for onychomycosis, nail scrapings were examined under microscopy. Surprisingly, they revealed several scabies mites. The patient was treated with occlusive dressing of crotomitin cream, and the nails dramatically improved over the next three weeks. I thought this was an interesting and shocking case. Upon further review, I found quite a few articles discussing scabies with nail involvement, but this was the first reported case of isolated nail involvement without other dermatologic manifestations and also notably without significant itch. Scabies can mimic nail psoriasis and onychomycosis. It can present with subungual hyperkeratotic debris, nail plate deformity, distal onycholysis, longitudinal nail splitting and periungual scale or crust. An article from the Journal of Trop- Tropical Pediatrics entitled Nail Scabies: An Unusual Presentation Often Overlooked and Mistreated reported two cases of pediatric patients presenting with nail dystrophy and minimal skin findings. One patient also had green discoloration of the toenails and they were found to have scabies mites on a microscopic exam. Topical scabicides, occlusion, topical keratolytics, and nail trimming are the staples of treatment for nail scabies and oral ivermectin may also be considered, but a combination of both oral and topical treatment is often needed. So in conclusion, consider nail scabies in patients presenting with nail dystrophy and think about performing a microscopic exam or of nail scrapings, especially in cases of suspected onychomycosis who may have a negative PAS or fungal culture, or in immunocompromised patients which often present with atypical features of scabies.
1: Thank you. These articles were so surprising Mm -hmm. to me. I had not ever thought about scabies in the nail unit. And like you say, it's a really good reason to do your own scraping in clinic, even if you are also going to send a nail clipping for PAS, for example, because you could definitely miss this. And I'm going to add it to my list of things that can mimic onychomycosis.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: All right. Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we are doing and which articles you would like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nail Disorders.